Let's pray one more time for God's help as we transition now in our worship to worshiping through hearing the word. Father, as we think about you and in your word, you know that we need your help. We need your help to hear your voice. We need your help to understand the things that you want us to understand from your word this morning. I pray that you would do that. Would you illuminate our thoughts and stir our hearts to love you more and to know you more closely, more intimately? Pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're going to focus our first time in worship together in 2024 on something mysterious, something we can't fully wrap our minds around or explain or comprehend. It's something that's essential for us as we seek to live lives that are immersed in God's presence and following Jesus. It can be both a delight for us and a joy, and then at other times it can be disappointing or even confusing for us. Thinking about it for some of us is going to evoke excitement and anticipation, and others of us, it might make us feel guilty. I'm willing to guess that for most of us, if not all of us in the room, that we feel like it's something we don't have enough of in our life. We can even feel like we aren't good at it at times, yet we know it's important and we sense that there are some people who are good at this and do know how to do this. We know it's good and that it will bring good in our lives and those lives around us. We want it. So what am I talking about? Have you figured it out yet? I'm talking about prayer. Prayer and living a life where we're conscious, we're aware that God in his tangible presence is here right now with us as we do our lives. Like Luke says in Luke 17, 28, in him we live and move and have our being. The reality for each one of us, no matter if we are attuned to it and aware of it or not, is that we live our lives drenched in the presence of God among us. In God we live and we move and we have our being. And we just finished this whole season, the season of Emmanuel, the season of God with us, where God came to us and entered his world. This is our reality. God is with us in every moment, in very real and concrete and tangible ways, he is with us. But it's mysterious. It's mysterious. And we're still learning what it looks like to live in that reality now in our lives. Part of the beauty and the challenge of prayer is that it is mysterious and we can't fully wrap our minds around it. We can't fully explain how it works and how sometimes it feels like it doesn't work. As human beings, we just can't fully understand it. But the good news is that we don't need to fully understand it in order to enter into it in order to experience God, in order to enjoy him in prayer. This morning, here's kind of how I'm going to define prayer this morning. It's not something that's just a sentimental act that Christians engage in, like wishful thinking so that we can feel better. That's not what prayer is. Prayer is a divinely appointed way for human beings to intimately connect with God and to wield immense power as we cooperate with God 
to bring about change in the world and change in ourselves. Prayer is meant to be life-giving, life-sustaining, joy-filling. It's meant to take our discipleship to Jesus in new and deeper places. And God gives us a picture all throughout his word of what this looks like. When we come to the Bible, when we open it up, we see that it's a book full of human beings made of the same stuff as us, flesh and blood, who prayed to God and God heard them. We read story after story after story in the Bible of people crying out to God for their needs and him tangibly meeting their needs. And we see stories of people not only crying out to him, but hearing from him because God speaks to them and they interact with him. It's an amazing gift that God has given human beings that we can actually come to him, speak to him, and he can speak to us. Now, prayer is a huge topic. This morning, I'm going to focus our time on three main things, three things. One, prayer is relational. Two, prayer is powerful. And three, prayer leads to joy. Prayer is relational, prayer is powerful, and prayer leads to joy. If you're one of my note-taking friends, this sermon this morning is a lot less linear than my sermons tend to be, so it's not going to be just like one point after the next. Those three aspects of prayer, you're going to hear weaved in and out throughout this entire sermon. Just don't want you to get lost if you're taking notes. First, though, prayer is relational. Prayer is connection and interaction with God, who is a person. God is a person. And two key implications and things that flow from that reality that God is a person is that God listens, he actively hears and listens, and God speaks, he communicates. Which means it's possible for us as human beings to have interactive connection with him, like we would have with other persons that are in our life. We can hear him and he can hear us. I'm starting here because in my own heart, my own life, but then in the lives of people that I've helped over the years learn to connect with Jesus, this reality, this aspect of God being personal is one of the things that we can often just miss. Once we see it, it's so obvious, but if we miss it, that God is personal and relational in nature, our prayer lives are dry. Our prayer lives can be very mechanical, or we might not pray at all because it just doesn't feel good to pray. It feels like we have a list of things that we just go through and we get it done and we're done. But it's not meant to be that way because God is relational. And we can see this truth that God is personal and relational throughout the scriptures over and over and over again. But the clearest examples of that teaching come from Jesus as he teaches, but also Jesus as he prays. And we've looked at the Lord's Prayer this last year in depth, so I'm not going to go into that in depth. But the Lord's Prayer, the Our Father Prayer, is our greatest example of what it looked like for Jesus to pray and what he envisioned that it would look like for us to pray. So when his disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray, he started in Matthew 6, 9 with that phrase that is just so famous now, Our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven. And there's so much in that, but unfortunately, because of familiarity, words like that can actually, I think, become stale to us. And they can start to 
lose their power that they were meant to have because we're just familiar with it. Of course, our Father in heaven. God is our Father. But if God is our Father, what does that make us in prayer? I want to think about that together. If God is our Father, that makes us adopted sons and daughters. And we say that frequently here, that God has purchased us and now we are his sons and daughters because we believe it is absolutely essential for us to assimilate that into our thought life and into our desires deep in our hearts, that Jesus died on the cross for our sins and brought us to him and made us into beloved sons and daughters in him. We, we, sung, we sang about that all morning so far. That reality, though, that he is our father and we are adopted sons and daughters massively changes the way that we pray. It changes the way we approach God and the way that we experience him when we come to him in prayer. So I want to do a little thought experiment together this morning to try to draw out a little bit about how does it actually change it. So we just saw that the Lord's Prayer starts with our Father in heaven. And I'm going to do something that could be blasphemous, but it's, it's not, trust me. I'm going to change the wording of the Lord's Prayer for a minute. And I want us to think about what would, what would be different about our prayer life if Jesus hadn't revealed God to be our Father. I'm going to replace Father with a couple other ideas for how he could have revealed him. And I think from that, we'll get some insights into our own hearts about how prayer could be different. So the first example, what if instead of it says our Father in heaven, what if Jesus said our boss in heaven? Our boss would be personal, right? I hope our bosses are all personal. But it'd be very different, right, than our father. The way that a boss relates to an employee and an employee to a boss is very different than the way a father relates to a child and a child to a father. I mean, think about those differences for a minute. For one, the relationship that most of us have with our boss is pretty narrow in scope, right? It revolves around the task and the things and our responsibilities that we do wherever we work as we're out in the world working. So it's pretty narrow. But then think about asking your boss for something. Now, I'm not talking about something you would never ask your boss, but the things that you would normally want to ask a boss. Think about what that process is like. Typically, depending on your experience of like, people over you in, at your job, but typically, we're very careful how we time those requests, aren't we? We want to ask on the right day and at the right time and when the boss seems like he's in a good mood. We want to ask her when we've done a really good job. We certainly would never ask for something from a supervisor right after we made a big mistake and cost the company money. Right? The, the way we've been living and performing at our job greatly impacts the way that relationship with boss and employee goes. And that's very different than what we're talking about here with father-child relationships. If God were our boss in heaven, the relationship would be very transactional be very performance-oriented, like you get a review mid-year and then at the end of the year, and then maybe you'll get the things you asked for. But that's not the way it is with God. Not to mention, this maybe this may came to your mind right away, that a boss can just fire you, and that relationship can be over. But what we have and what we've received in Jesus is something that is meant to be secure, and in the foundation of love. So when we pray to, to God, 
we pray from a place of security and love and trust that is not transactional and is not performance-based. Okay, let's try another one. How about instead of our Father in heaven, our genie in heaven? Think, think about this with me, our genie in heaven. That would make God our divine wish granter. His usefulness in our life would be to grant wishes. But beyond that, it's hard to see why we would ever want to relate with him at all because that's what he does. He grants wishes. Our prayer life that would then primarily about getting our desires met in the easiest way possible. And we all know how we would start the first prayer with our genie in heaven, right? We'd ask for more wishes right away. Even in that action, we begin to manipulate in prayer. And we all know that there's a limited number of wishes that get granted. But if we think a little deeper about this kind of silly example of genie, I think we can get a little more out of this for how our prayer life with God is different than that. See, whenever you see a story about this sort of thing, like a genie in a bottle, the person wishing can wish for anything they want, right? And the genie will make it come to pass. The problem with that, though, for us is that the genie does not care whether or not the thing that is being wished for is good for the person who's wishing it. So you could wish for something that's horrible that you think is good, but actually would result in something horrible for your life and those lives around you, and that genie would grant it, no matter what. Because really, there's no relationship, there's just a function. Give me what I want and I will get on with my life. That's what it would look like. It's not that way with us with our Father in heaven, right? We don't have a limited number of requests. We don't have to manipulate him to get what we want. And our prayer life is not only about asking for things, right? It's about being with God. It's about praising him and thanking him and enjoying him and bringing before him our life and experiencing it with him. Not to mention just listening to him, just sitting in his presence, our prayer life is about making requests, but it's about more than making requests. We come to him as a child comes to a father. That idea, that concept of father for every single one of us in this room needs to be redeemed. It needs to be realigned with God's word, depending on our varied interactions with our earthly fathers. Our human concept of what a father is needs to be brought in line with how the word of God describes what a good father is in our lives. The clearest image we have of that is in Christ, who is the image of God, because a father is only good so long as the father is reflecting our God in heaven. And, and we look at Jesus and we see that constantly. He is the exact representation of God. I want to give you an example of what I mean. This is in Matthew 9, 9 to 11. This is Jesus teaching. He says, Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? So if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? It's amazing to me the way the Father in this passage is described as evil. And Jesus doesn't mean that fathers are all evil, but when you compare even a good earthly father to our father who is in heaven, by comparison, the good earthly father is evil. And his point is very simple but profound. 
that if a good father would be willing to give his children good things when asked, how much more would your perfect, good, and loving heavenly father give good things to those who ask him? He's encouraging us to bring our requests before God and to trust that he hears and that he will respond and that he would bring good things into our lives. And he wants us to do that as a child, which means we do it with a certain level of presumption. Of course, my father wants to give me what is good, and of course I will bring my request before him because he's always doing what is good in my life. Because he's perfect, and he knows me, and he loves me, and he will only bring good things to me. And because he's our father, we don't need to only bring our requests when we feel like we've done good enough. We're going to talk more about that in a few minutes, but I think that really hinders our prayer life when we start to evaluate our times of connection with God from the point of view of our obedience to God. I'll unpack that a bit in a moment. But Jesus constantly taught about this reality that we need to ask and we need to trust that he will answer. Here's three promises that he gave us. These are pretty amazing from the Gospel of John. First one's in John 14. It says, Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. And in John 15, 7, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. In John 16, 24, Until now you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Those are staggering promises. But those promises also cause us challenges when we pray. I asked a couple people this week, I told them I was going to be preaching on prayer, and I just said, what what do you find to be challenging about prayer? What about your prayer life is hard? And it's related, their answers were related to those promises. They said, the the request-making part in prayer is hard because for them, one, sometimes you make a request of God and then a lot of time passes before you see the result of that prayer. So you make this request and you want it now, but actually you have to wait. That could be really hard. And I think many of us have experienced that as a challenge in prayer. And then the other one I know that I've experienced is that you can ask God for something with those promises in mind and then feel like you just didn't get that thing. Almost like God didn't hear you and he didn't give you what you asked him for. I'm sure many of us can relate to that in this room right now. I know I can. I was sitting with someone this week and we were, we were talking about some amazing prayers that God had answered that we had prayed a few weeks earlier. These were in the category of impossible prayers. You know what I mean? Like impossible prayers are those prayers which we know this could never happen unless God did it. That's really true of all prayer, but some of them just feel like this is an impossible situation. So I was sitting with this brother and we were rejoicing together and saying, God answered this amazing prayer. It's amazing. And I had this feeling in my heart in that moment of feeling really surprised. In that moment, I was surprised that God had answered that prayer that way. Why? (laughs) Why would I be surprised that God 
actually answered what we asked him. I mean, I see constantly in what I do here every day with people that God answers prayers. Over and over and over again, we pray and he answers in very specific and tangible ways. Yet, I was still surprised. Think about that. I don't know if you've ever felt that way. But it reveals something. I don't think it reveals a lack of faith, by the way. If you have felt surprised by God's answers to your prayer, I don't think it means that you don't have faith. I think that that surprise that we feel in those moments is part of what God is doing in prayer. It's part of this waiting and learning from him how he acts in the world. And even when we bring our request to him, we don't know for sure how things should turn out. So we can be surprised sometimes the way and delight in the way that he chooses to answer those prayers. That process of waiting is an important process, an important part of what prayer is because prayer transforms us as we wait. Because God is a good father, he will only bring good into our lives, not evil. And because he's good, we need to remember this. This is something Tim Keller wrote. God will either give us what we ask or give us what we would have asked if we knew everything that he knows. Right? God will only give us what we asked or he will give us what we would have asked if we knew everything that God knows about our life. I don't know about you, but that idea helps me when it feels like I just prayed something and I don't see it happening. That's when my heart needs to go deeper in my connection with him and learn he knows something about my life and my situation that I don't know. And his not giving me that thing I asked for is really, really good for me. Because here's the truth. Sometimes when we go to him in prayer, we think we're asking for bread, something good. But actually, we're asking for a poisonous snake, something harmful. And we just don't realize it. Because our perspective on our life and our situation is limited. We know that prayer is powerful. The Bible is brimming with stories of people who came to him. Just a couple examples, just to get your mind working on that. Think about Elijah. He prayed that it wouldn't rain, and it didn't rain. And then he prayed that it would rain, and it rained. Or think about Daniel. He's a famous prayer warrior, right? Daniel was forbidden to pray, yet he prayed and was thrown in a den of lions. Yet God protected him as he trusted in him. I'm pretty sure Daniel didn't ask God to throw him in the den. But he trusted, and God did protect him. And we go to the New Testament, we see example after example of powerful responses from God to people's prayers. Like in the book of Acts with Tabitha. Tabitha had died. Peter knelt down next to her, prayed that she would live, and she lived. God answers powerful prayers. Some of you know that in my later teens, I, had, I was a bit of a magnet for zealous religious people who believe very differently than we do, okay? People who you may see go door to door and knock on your house door, and they're eager to tell you about God. People like Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons and, for me, Moonies and Hare Krishnas. So over the years, for whatever reason, God saw fit to bring many friends into my life through their knocks on my front door. And as I developed friendships in that way, my knowledge of God 
deepened significantly. Because when a person comes to me and says, basically, everything you believe about God is wrong, I want to know why. I'm wired to want to know why, and I'm wired to want to find out, am I wrong? (laughs) Or are you wrong? And so I would go to the Word of God, and my faith was challenged again and again and again by these friends. And I remember, as I was preparing this message, one conversation in particular that relates to this idea of God being relational and God being personal in our lives. One of those friends was challenging me and basically telling me I was wrong about my view of who the Holy Spirit was. This friend of mine was saying that the Spirit of God is not a person. The Spirit of God is more like electricity. Electricity. Less like a person and more like electricity. So very powerful and something that you would tap into when you have need of it, but definitely not a person. And as I went to my Bible that night after having that conversation and started digging in, I found this, Ephesians 4.30 and 31. It says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. That does not sound like our electricity in heaven at all to me. The Spirit of God is grieved by our sin. To be grieved is to be saddened. That is a very personal and relational response towards us. So the Spirit is not merely power to use like you would use electricity. The Spirit of God is personal power. Just just indulge me for a minute here. Let's think a little bit more about the difference between electricity and the Holy Spirit. There are some similarities. First, they're both powerful. You need to respect electricity, right? There's a reason we don't bring our dryer right next to the tub. It's powerful and not to be trifled with. God is powerful and we don't play with God either. He's to be respected. He is holy and to be revered. But the similarities pretty much end there, and it's actually the differences that matter between electricity and our personal God. And that's where I think we could really learn something. So think about electricity and the way it works in our lives. It's very valuable. It's hard to imagine doing life. We wouldn't be doing this right now if we didn't have it. But it's impersonal. It only benefits us as we manipulate it to our ends. It doesn't have any desire towards us. So it's not, electricity never thinks, I want to bring blessing into your life. It just is. And we use it however we see fit. And it will work as long as we harness it and manipulate it in the proper ways. We won't be harmed by it and it will help us. So think about that. It's merely a means to an end. We flip on a light switch, the electricity flows through it, and we're benefited by it. But as followers of Jesus, we know that our relationship with God does not work like that. We don't manipulate God into doing what we want. We know that. could ask any one of you that right now, and you would say that. We don't manipulate him. Here's the thing, though. Unfortunately, I think that we often do manipulate God or attempt to functionally in our lives as we pray. For example, if you've ever prayed something like this or thought this, you've done it. 
God, after all I've done for you, I need you to do this for me. If we've ever prayed that or thought something like that as a request or a complaint, then unfortunately we, unfortunately we have attempted to manipulate God through our goodness, through our good behavior. Our good behavior in that example is the equivalent of flipping on the light switch. We want the lights to be on, so we flip it on. We want God to do something for us. The equivalent of flipping it on is just to do something good. Do something good. But maybe your wiring is different. Maybe you think more in terms of the other side, the more negative side, the opposite side. For you, rather than your goodness being the focus in prayer, it's your sense of guilt, your brokenness that ends up hindering you from connecting relationally with God. For you, it might sound more like this, God, I did it again. I messed up again. How could you ever hear my prayers? How could I ever draw near you when this keeps happening in my life over and over again? We need to see that that feeling, that our sin is also preventing him from hearing us, that is the other side of that same coin. In either case, we are relating to God based on our performance, and God is becoming for us a means to an end, and not the end itself, relating with him. Here's the truth. That is all based on the false belief that our good behaviors, our obedience, and our own righteousness put God in our debt in some way. When we pray like that, either God give me this because I've been so good, or God won't give me this because I've been so bad, we believe that our goodness has the ability to somehow earn from him something that he owes us, that he must respond to in prayer. And that is very different from how Jesus revealed his Father in heaven to behave with us, to act with us. The truth is, God never owes us anything. We owe him everything. He will never be in our debt, and we will always be in his. And when we come before him, we don't come before him because of our performance. We come before him because we know that Jesus has earned a hearing with him for us. We know that Jesus has done everything that was necessary in order that we might pray to our Father in heaven and get a response from him. Jesus is the one. So we pray trusting in his finished work. Prayer is relational. It's not transactional. Prayer is transformational because God takes us to deeper places with him as we engage in it. And prayer is powerful. It will lead to joy in our life as we connect with God. Just a couple more ideas here. It is amazing to me that God has chosen to involve us in his work of redemption at all. For some reason, he has chosen to allow us to enter into the things that he is doing in the world. And he has given us only two ways to do that. There's only two ways that we can engage with God in what he is doing in the world. One is our physical work, the things that we do with our hands. The other is prayer. And they're very different ways of entering into what God is doing. The first one, work, is guaranteed. So when we, so for example, 
Say you go out to your garden and you see a weed and you want to remove that weed. God has given us the ability to lean over, pull the weed, and once we've done that, the weed is gone, right? But God has put a limit on what our physical work can accomplish. We might be able to pluck a weed out of the ground, but that dead oak we have in our yard, we aren't able to just pluck out with our hands, right? That's a lot more work. We are limited in, our, in the scope of how we can work. And that's a really important thing. Because when we work, the results in that way, in something like weeding, are guaranteed. Now, we might weed the field and prepare it for planting. That doesn't guarantee we're going to have a good harvest. We don't control that. But this is where prayer is so different. Because prayer is not limited the way our work is limited. It's not dependent upon our strength, upon our abilities. It's dependent on God and his strength and his abilities. And because of that, because it is more powerful than our work, God, has, God needs to filter it. God needs to hear our prayers. And when it works, in the sense of like the thing happens we prayed for, God ensures that the results are only good and not bad in our lives and in the lives of others. Tim Keller wrote that prayer is rebellion against the world's evil status quo. Prayer is rebellion against the world's evil status quo. In other words, prayer is rebelling in the very best sense of the word rebel against all that is dark and decaying in the world and pursuing the kingdom of God. And in the kingdom, what we have is joy and delight and life. It's a divinely appointed way for us to cooperate with God and what he is doing in the world. And it's an amazing privilege that we enter into as his children. I want to end with one more quick story. Back to a couple of these friends of mine who thought everything I believed was wrong, okay? Um, a 10-year period went by between I had seen this person, the Jehovah's Witness, and 10 years went by before I had seen them again. So I was a student the last time I had interaction with them, and I moved away from that town, and then I moved back to the town. 10 years went by. And one morning I woke up, and for some reason, these friends came to my mind, and I just felt like I needed to pray for them and for their life and for their connection with Jesus. So I started to pray that morning. It was a Saturday morning. And an hour later, my doorbell rang, and I went to the door, and I opened the door, and it was those friends that I hadn't seen for 10 years. It was the first time they ever knocked on my door, and they didn't know I lived there. I opened the door, and I just started laughing, and all I could say was, I'm actually not really that surprised you're here. This morning I was praying for you. I mean, I am surprised, but I'm not, because this is how God works. And their first question was, how was my roommate from my old dorm life doing? I said, well, I don't live with him anymore. Here's my wife and our kids. <laughs> but I share that example because you could say that that thought I had about them and them showing up at my door an hour later was completely coincidental. I mean, you could say that, but I know it wasn't. You know it wasn't. That was God at work. That was God allowing me to enter into his joy and participate with him what he was doing in these people's lives. That's often the way prayer will work in our life. Someone will come to our mind and we will just pray. And we get to enter into the joy of praying and having a powerful God answer. 
Church, Jesus has made participation in his kingdom possible. He's made it available. It's right there for us right now in this life today. Every day we can connect with him in living union, in interactive prayer. It leads to joy and it leads to the world being different and to our hearts being different. Let's pray. God, thank you for the gift of prayer. We are dependent upon you to grow in this, Lord. I pray that you would do that for each one of us as we think about this new year. Would you stir us to new levels of intimacy with you, new and deeper levels of connection with you, Would you root out of our hearts the ways that we don't even realize that we interact with you that are stealing our joy, that are preventing us from experiencing you the way that you were meant to be experienced? Thank you for the year you gave us last year. We pray, work and move among us mightily. And we trust that you hear this prayer, Lord. We trust that you hear us because of Jesus. We trust that he has earned our hearing before you. And we pray to you in his name. Amen.